Hey friends, before we get going today, I just want to apologize. This conversation had a few glitches. Uh, Our internet feed between uh, myself and the guest kind of went haywire at times. But stick with us. Don't leave this conversation. There is a lot of goodness, truth, and beauty to behold. Just wanted to say my apologies and enjoy. The vice president of leadership at LinkedIn claims that the biggest driver of motivation is the chance to serve a larger purpose beyond our careers and ourselves. Rather than a salary, benefits, bonuses, or other material incentives, companies that are able to successfully focus their people, their teams, and their culture around meaning outperform their competition. Fred Kaufman's approach to leadership has little to do with the standard practices taught in business school and traditional books. Bringing together economics and business theory, communications and conflict resolution, family counseling and mindfulness meditation, Kaufman argues in The Meaning Revolution that our most deep-seated, unspoken, and universal anxiety stems from our fear that our life is being wasted, that at the end of life, Life will overtake us when our song is still unsung. Fred joins us today in this conversation at Good, True, and Beautiful as we talk about his latest book, The Meaning Revolution. Hi, I'm Ashton Gustafson, and welcome to Good, True, and Beautiful. Hey friends, Ashton Gustafson here, and welcome back to another episode of Good, True, and Beautiful. I am so excited today to introduce you guys to an individual whose book um, just came out last week. I started reading it, and um, I've studied his work for a while. The book is called The Meaning Revolution, uh, and his name is Fred Kaufman. He's the VP of Executive Development and and a leadership philosopher at LinkedIn. Um, This guy, he brings all of these conversations that we've had about compassion, wisdom, empathy, unity, um, transcendence, and so forth, and he brings them into the business conversation in such a beautiful way. Uh, I think when we speak in the world of consciousness uh, and doing good things in leadership in the world, this book, The Meaning Revolution, uh, is just a wonderful, wonderful gateway to get into that conversation. And so I don't want to talk anymore. I want to get to know Fred. And uh, with that being said, Fred, welcome to our conversation. Thank you, Ashton. It's a pleasure to be here. So um, I, I guess when, when you introduce yourself and your work in the world, uh, where do you begin? Uh, I begin by saying my name uh, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, telling, I guess, telling people that I, uh, I feel more like a personal trainer than I feel like a teacher. So I never work with people to introduce my stuff. I come here to serve their needs and I need to understand what matters to them and what they want to accomplish. And then I'll craft my introduction based on what's important to them. So I, it's uh, I know it's a strange, it's a strange way to start, but uh, it's never about me. Yeah. It's about the people I'm trying to help. Yeah. So I don't have a standard introduction. I I guess I will craft it depending on what matters to people. So Beautiful. why don't you tell me what matters to you, Ashton? Well, absolutely. I, I think um, this conversation of um, like I, I I've I've just been across your work and your connection with Reed Hoffman for a while to know that you guys have uh, great passion for wisdom, uh, for compassion in the world 
and that business can be a medium uh, to participate and exchange such things. Um, so I, I guess when when did you start realizing that the the thing underneath the thing, the deep truth in life, really was missing in business and and needed to be talked about and and that you could actually, you could have a business card that read that you are the leadership philosopher of LinkedIn. Yeah. Uh, well, that started many years ago when I was teaching business at MIT, my first, I would say my only job. Um, after that, I've been, been going from adventure to adventure, but that, that I took as a job after I graduated. Um, and I realized that uh, people spend, I mean, I had studied economics uh, in a very abstract manner, uh, economic theory, mathematics, and the business school was the first time I really interacted with uh, people who are real managers and leaders that were working uh, and doing business. And what I noticed uh, was that they, they were trying, as in their own words, to balance uh, work and life. Mm. And that always bothered me uh, because it creates this sense of polarity that when you work, you're not living. And when you're really living, you're not working. Uh, I didn't fully understand why it bothered me so much. I, I had a, uh, just, just a irritation with the term with, or with the expression. And over time, I realized that it was because most of our lives, um, at least the waking life, we spend um, at work or, or, or doing things that are related to work, the majority of our waking lives. And if that is not a lifetime, mm. then when, when do you plan to live? Uh, after retirement, that's uh, it's not a good deal. So I, I started exploring this question, why people felt that they couldn't be fully alive when they were working. Not that work is the only way to be fully alive, but it's certainly a very significant work, yeah. uh, a, a very significant way to be fully alive. And that's when I started exploring things that were way beyond mathematics or systems theory uh, to... Um, to understand human nature and how does human nature express its, itself in the most uh, good, beautiful, and truthful way. Hmm. And, and I think in the book you talk about the difference between balance and integration. I think you did. Um, yeah. I, and so hold my hand in understanding that because I think that a balanced life is a myth, as some have written, um, and yet your argument is... Um, no, to be fully present uh, in all forms of your life, to bring uh, a sense of beauty, mindfulness, uh, really is the, um, this idea of integration, I think, is huge. And I think we're all waking up to it. I mean, it's this amazing time to be human that it's like we're all going, oh, yeah. And, and what about meaning and beauty and goodness? You know, it's yeah. not just a paycheck anymore. Exactly. Uh, well, I, I do a, a little exercise sometimes in my workshops, which is very graphic. Uh, we, we're not going to do it now, but you can imagine it and you'll, you'll, you'll get the, the point. So, uh, I mean, you can even do it if you're standing. Just stand in perfect balance. Just balance your weight between your two feet. And then as you're balanced, try to take a step and see what happens. But don't lose your balance. Just stay perfectly balanced. 
Don't shift your weight and see if you can take a step forward. What what are you finding? Got a problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can't walk. <laughs> you can't walk yeah. because walking is controlled falling. Uh, you have to shift your weight. You, you have to get totally out of balance in order to be able to lift one of the feet and move it forward. And then you put all your weight in the foot, you move forward, and then you stand on that leg, you take all the weight off the other one, and then you fall forward with the other. Hmm. It's a surprisingly difficult mechanical movement. Um, you know, Making robots that walk is tremendously difficult. There are some, but none with the capability of a human being, let alone a mule or, or a, a mountain goat. You know, this is unbelievable what, what it takes to do it. So it doesn't take uh, balance. It takes an integration of permanent imbalances, but they amount to a flow, uh, a motion that allows you to move, to go forward. And I see life a little bit like that. It's not about being perfectly balanced all the time because then you're, you can't really move. You have to be in disequilibrium to move. That's right. But of course, it's a disequilibrium that is integrated for higher purpose. So you're you're shifting the weight from one leg to the other, but not randomly. You're doing it to get somewhere. You're walking towards something, and that that is what provides the integrative, uh, I would say, energy yep. to your movements. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I want to. I love this little riff here because I'm finding that. Um, in new truth or in truth that I'm rediscovering or truth that's always been there that I'm just now finding, it's as if if there isn't paradox within it, it just may not be true. Um, and so when you write in the book about the search for success is par paradoxically is the wrong way to achieve success. Um, talk with me about what you mean there on this search of success not being the way to achieve true success, that there's an element of paradox there, just as there is with balance and integration. Um, where is the paradox in success? Well, first, I'll, I'll tell you that there are two levels of the paradox. One that is mundane. The other is a little more transcendent. But even at the most mundane level, uh, if you are too anxious thinking about the result, you're just not in the process. Uh, for example, uh, let's just say you want to lose weight. And the only thing you care about is losing weight. And you're totally focused on losing weight. Uh, you, you're not really committed to the diet. You, you, you may, I mean, you may do shortcuts, like, I don't know, take pills that end up getting you sick or uh, making a tremendous effort with willpower uh, to curb some of your uh, appetite or your cravings. And then you, you binge because uh, you, you, can't, you can't hold the line um, with such, uh, such discipline for so long all your life or so on. So there's something about being present in the process mm. as opposed to losing your mind uh, attached to the outcome, which makes it more likely that you will achieve the outcome. I tell the story in the book that once I wanted to run a marathon, I went to see a, a trainer uh, to help me. 
And I told him, I, I want to run a marathon. <laughs> His answer was, everybody wants to run a marathon. The question is, are you willing to get up at 5 a.m. to train every day? And and that was that was really a, a very significant moment, not just about the marathon, but about everything. Uh, it, it's 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 corrupting to attach yourself to a process and just envision. Sorry, to attach yourself to the outcome, meaning success, and lose sight of the commitment you need to make to the process, which is every day, every moment. It's a permanent present activity as opposed to the future of someday I'll get there. Yeah. That, that doesn't mean you don't have a goal or you don't have a vision, but uh, the vision is simply, uh, I would say, uh, like a magnetic attractor at the end of the process, but it's what inspires you to do the hard work day in and day out that is required uh, to arrive to your, to your, to your destination. Yeah. Well, love it. That's that's what that's what helps people achieve their goals, even if they are goals that are, as I said, very mundane. Run a marathon, uh, get a promotion, um, go some beautiful place on vacation. Whatever it is, if you commit to the process, you're more likely to achieve the outcome than if you commit to the outcome. Right, right. So it's falling in love with the now, with the moment that's at hand, knowing that this small moment is attached to that great thing that you're after that's out there on the horizon. Well, it's, it's, it's attached if you are if you are in it, if you're really present, hmm. uh, because your horizon or your future, it's an imagination that happens in this moment. We can't really access the future. The future is a story, just like the past. The, the only thing that is really present is now. That's that's hmm. obvious. If you hmm. if you just consider it for five seconds, it's obvious that there is none. There's no past beyond your memory yeah. or you know, memory of a collective memory or a future beyond their imagination. Well, love it. So um, let's talk a little bit about the meaning revolution and the book that came out last week. Um, is this really just a uh, your big thesis on really this last journey that you've had over the last decade or so? What what was the you know, what was your purpose behind uh, writing the meaning revolution. Uh, well, I studied uh, very classical economics that makes a certain assumption about human beings, and that is that we are um, we're motivated or we're incentivized best by material goods, and that um, our our bliss point would be to have all the things that we crave, and to not have any of the things we don't want. Like, for example, having a lot of money and not having to work for it. Uh, winning the lottery, so to speak, would be like the, the ultimate satisfaction in life. Um, now, that flies in the face of all the empirical research. In fact, um, there's some um, interesting research on happiness that compares the level of happiness of people who won the lottery and people that had an accident and were left, or an illness and were left paraplegic. And of course, in the first couple of months, they it, it's as you would expect, the people that won the lottery are uh, very high, and the people that suffer the illness or the accident are very low suffering. But then after a year, things get more or less the same, and even the people that won the lottery go below the people that suffer the accident. Mm. And it, it's just a shock. 
wait, wait a minute. Are, are you telling me that if I want to be happy long term, if someone offers me the choice between winning the lottery or having an accident and being left paraplegic, I should choose the latter? Um, well, it's hard. That's hard to follow. But that's the, the empirical research is uh, shocking. I mean, it, it is it is absolutely incontrovertible. So. What does that mean? I think it, it, it means that we don't, although pleasure does depend on material things, ultimately, our feeling of fulfillment in life, uh, what um, Aristotle would call eudaimonia, which is not the happiness of um, just pleasure, but the happiness of peace of mind, of excellence, of a feeling of pride uh, that comes very deep, I would say, from your soul, if I can use the term. Uh, has very little to do with comfort, happiness, the satisfaction of cravings or uh, just normal desires. And it has a lot more to do with uh, a set of moral principles, a mission that one feels very passionate about and that is uh, transcends the satisfaction of the egoic needs and expands to include also others uh, in in love, I would say it it it, it considers other people uh, as um, as a, I would say as as an opportunity to to expand the circle of care and concern beyond oneself and includes other loved ones, other people I don't know, and even you know all sentient beings to use the Buddhist phrase. Hmm. So the the ultimate satisfaction is not material goods, but the ultimate satisfaction has to do with this sense of fulfillment in life. And everything we have in the economic system is predicated on the assumption that people want to not work and consume. And yet the people who don't work and just consume are miserable. So I, I wanted to just challenge that and say, oh, there, we, we can make a revolution in the sense of the Copernican revolution and say, instead of putting material goods at the center and think that everything orbits around the goods at Earth. Uh, why don't we put the sun at the center? Why don't we say what people really want is to live lives of meaning, uh, lives that will be committed to something that transcends their own material existence. And what changes and how would we structure companies, work, even personal relationships if we started putting the sun in the center of our solar system and we started thinking that our lives revolve around a source of meaning rather than just whatever matter we can uh, acquire. Hmm. And so really this is the happiness versus meaning conversation, right? It, well, happiness understood as the pleasure of satisfied desire. Right, right, right. So I... I yeah, so a lot of our listeners are business owners, uh, leaders within companies. Um, in, in a world that's so powered by graphs that are constantly up and to the right, profit and loss statements, um, competition, scarcity, uh, all, all of those things, supply and demand, how do we just begin these conversations to put meaning at the center of the conversation? Uh, purpose, transcendence, beauty, compassion. I mean, I'd, I'd just love to hear how this is happening real life for you guys um, at LinkedIn. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, it, it's 
it's not how would I say it's not something that depends on the world as you say the world will do whatever it does but what it requires is a, a leap mm-hmm. um, so the question is how do you get what you cannot extract how do you inspire people to put their best effort to to really put their heart and soul in the enterprise as opposed to just their bodies and their mechanical strength. And to get that, you can't just do a material exchange. You have to invite people to join a project, a project that will become meaningful to them. Of course, you need to make profits and losses. I mean, there's just, sorry, account for profits and losses. Hopefully you make profits. Mm -hmm. Of course, you need to check that. It would be like if you're scuba diving, yeah, and you're you're not checking your oxygen gauge. Of course, I mean if you if you if you run out of oxygen, you're in big trouble underwater. So you don't go scuba diving to check your oxygen, and you don't go scuba diving to breathe a lot. There's an experience you can have in that different world, which is not available in your normal world. So in a sense, the the water, the sea, affords an, an opportunity to transcend your normal existence and enter into a new world. Well, for me, business is exactly the same. Any company could be exactly the same. There are a few enterprises which are, uh, I would say, constitutionally malignant, you know, things that will get people addicted or things that will depend on fraud or violence against others. So that's, you know, whether they're uh, criminal in the definition of the law or not, they're certainly immoral. And uh, it's very, I, I can't imagine how any of those enterprises can inspire people to join beyond just uh, appealing to their basest instincts like you know we're gonna kill all these people and or we're gonna go steal so as a as a business owner or as a professional it's completely different if you start seeing the world as a meaningful opportunity for engagement which will give you feedback through your compensation your benefits your profits uh your brand um, the identity you have with your customers, your community, your employees, than if you just say, okay, we're here to make money and I'm going to pay people well and uh, that's all I need to exchange with them in order to have success. Didn't you say in the book or somewhere uh, that like really only 15% of fulfillment and satisfaction in the workforce today is contingent on the financial side of it? That's that's uh, exactly true. Um, I mean, they're, 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 the unfortunate statistic is that worldwide, less than 13% of people are engaged, meaning they wow. they are committed to their work, they they give their best. It's 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 shocking. There are countries that is like five percent. Ninety-five percent of the people either don't care or worse, they hate their jobs and they are actively sabotaging them or or, or behaving in ways that are against the interests of their employers and their peers. Uh, when you look at that, you say, oh my God, this is, this is horrible. We are, we're not starving perhaps materially, but we are starving meaningfully. Yeah. There's so little opportunity to do things that really matter, that makes us proud, that uh, gives us the opportunity to live fully. Uh, in a sense, we are genetically engineered to... Um, get to adolescence, procreate, and die. I mean, that's what the genes need in terms of moving to the next generation. So we are, our instincts are not serving us. Our instincts want us to be comfortable, to save energy, to be lazy, 
to eat lots of calories uh, that are cheap, uh, like sugar, and then procreate quickly and have lots of sex, and then uh, die, die quickly. So now the question is, do we want to live based on, I would say, the automatic pilot that has been programmed to, uh, as I said, carry genes from one generation to the other, but then you are left with this horrible empty feeling, uh, which uh, is kind of hell. So I think I would love to turn this conversation to, um, like when I came across your writing about about Joseph Campbell's hero's journey for leaders, um, mm-hmm. I, I, I never had the awareness, the consciousness, the eyes to see the need for meaning and depth uh, and purpose and beauty and transcendence in my life and my business until I had that die before you die moment. Um, where I, I, I don't really know how to ask this question, but um, I feel like there may be some people that are just like, man, I don't get it. Like our business, I'm, I'm the leader and I just need to make a profit and I've been entrusted all these people. And if we don't have a profit, um, then the business doesn't continue. This is a different muscle that you're talking about, and I feel like it's a much more significant muscle. Maybe it's the heart muscle of just, you know, what does it mean to be human? Um, hold my hand yeah. on this die before you die conversation sure, for, sure. for great leaders sure. in transcendence. Well, first, first, let me tell you, I, I don't really see a contradiction between the need to make money and profit uh, and uh, living with meaning. On the contrary, I, my experience is that the people who are fully committed, the people who love what they do, the people that have an inspiring mission, that are proud of the values and they care about their community and feel accepted and respected in it, are tremendously. I mean, it's 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 like a completely different dimension of effectiveness. They are they're so much more successful. So I, I, I want to be just careful. I am not trading off. I am not saying, oh, don't worry about results. Don't worry about uh, the material success. Don't worry about achieving your goal. That is frivolous. That, that, that is, I call that a spiritual bypass. It's like, oh, well, you know, we did our best. It doesn't matter. Of course it matters. Uh, I mean, this is not just for business. This is everywhere. It's your family. It's your career. It's your, I mean, I mean, think of the extreme example in the military. I mean, you, it's it's life or death. Or, you know, if you're in some mission critical, like a, a power plant, you know, it's not like, oh, well, we did our best. You know, we had a meltdown. But uh, then again, you know, it was a very meaningful experience. No, 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 no. I'm not saying anything like that. I am completely and totally committed to achieving the results that we uh, that we said we were going to pursue. Now, to to have that kind of commitment, you need to be inspired by those results. It's not enough to say, oh, well, if we achieve this, we're going to make money. How much money? I mean, think of Reed Hoffman. You mentioned him. I did a, uh, a fireside chat at LinkedIn last Friday. I mean, Reed has I mean, so much money. He can't spend the money he has. I mean, he's rightfully wealthy because he's helped so many people. And that, that fortune came to him as a, I would say, as a sign of his contribution to others, because otherwise people wouldn't have paid him for his creation, which was uh, LinkedIn with, with his co-founders. So he, how, how are you going to motivate Reed to do anything? Why would he be motivated to do anything? It can't be about having more money, because 
it's not going to make any difference. Really, the, 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 the marginal utility of money for him is zero. And without being Reed Hoffman, the marginal utility of money for most professionals is, you know, it's, 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 it's reasonable, but it's not the, the main motivator. I mean, if, you're, if you have your basic needs met and you can feed your family, and, uh, and I would say even beyond basic needs, but what we consider uh, here in the West basic needs, like have a good then then what? Are you going to have more money in your bank account? Okay, yes, saving for retirement is really important. But at some point, you know, somebody coming and offering you more money, uh, it doesn't really move the needle. Uh, and for the best performers, the people that you really, really want in your organization, uh, money even moves the needle less because they are they're good and they have a lot of opportunities. So whatever you can offer them in terms of monetary rewards, probably other people would be willing to offer them too. So why would they work for you and not for another company making the same or even a better material offer? Uh, the only answer is because they want to. And what would make them want to? Studying psychology and studying sociology and studying the, 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 the mental models of people. Uh, it's, it's absolutely clear that a, a, an arms race for benefits or compensation or retirement funds it just leads nowhere. It, it, it doesn't really engage people at the level that you want them to be engaged to make the most money. So in order to, to do that, you have to consider, am I a leader that has the moral authority to deserve people's engagements? Do I deserve people joining the project that I'm offering and putting their heart and soul in it? And it's not a personal thing. that You, you can't claim it for yourself because nobody's going to want to be your slave or be subservient to you. People will join you if you can consider them, in the words of Henry V in, in Shakespeare play, a band of brothers. Uh, and and you know, King Henry says, if you, we have to, we shed me today, will be my brother. And, and that statement, sheds blood with me today, when he's using it in a very dramatic setting uh, before a big battle. but. Uh, you can say shed blood, you can say shed uh, sweat. Whoever, whoever works hard with me today will be my brother or sister. And creating that community, that sense of purpose that's shared, it's the ultimate competitive advantage. I don't know how else to say it. I mean, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not, not spiritual here. I'm very, very, very oriented towards business success. So the, be the companies that attract the best talent are all companies that can make a, I would say, a meaningful proposition to these people to join in a project that will make their lives great. It's not, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I, I'm not uh, privy to every business conversation that happens in the world, but I tell you, in Silicon Valley, there is, you, you are not in the, in the playing field if you don't do that. Every, I mean, every startup, from from the, the 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 company that hasn't even been funded yet, and it's just like the proverbial you know, few people in a garage trying to make it work, to the just the giants like Google, Facebook, LinkedIn, Microsoft. All of these companies have to compete by making a meaningful proposition, or otherwise they're dead. I mean, literally, it's a war for talent. The only thing that makes a difference is the talent. There's plenty of capital, there's lots of technology, lots of ideas. The question is, do you have the people 
that will be able to execute and take your company to the point of greatness that you envision. And to get these people and get these people to put their hearts and souls, you better deserve it. And if you have not become the kind of leader that can make this proposition and invite people in this way, you're never going to make the money you want. Well, yeah, you write in the book, I believe the most deep-seated, unspoken, and universal anxiety in all of us is the fear that our life is being wasted, that death will surprise us when our song is still unsung. Yes. Hmm. That's a nice sentence. <laughs> That's a nice sentence. Yeah, it's a killer. So it reminds me of, uh, I think, Oliver Wendell Holmes. Um, uh, most men and women go to their graves with their music still in them. Um, yes. You know, I... Yeah, uh, yeah. and so it, it's... It, it, the the book I'm telling you this book is a um, to me it, it's a playbook for those of us that have been entrusted businesses companies people um, to really grow ourselves the degree to which we can grow the degree to which uh, our hearts can grow with compassion and empathy the degree to which we can increase in wisdom. Uh, is the degree to probably which, uh, which the people that we've been entrusted can also grow. And um, Fred, on, on behalf of all of us, I'm, I'm just super grateful for this work that you put in the world. I, I think that uh, for many, many years, people are going to revisit this book and um, just take so much good uh, goodness and beauty from it. Um, before we go, one of the questions that I always ask our guest is um, what advice would you give to your younger self? Don't worry so much. Don't worry. Don't worry so much. I'll worry a little bit, but not so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. And um, so, and, and lastly, like uh, with, with where you are today, and the um, the journey that you've taken as you're kind of um, doing what you you do so well. What's currently keeping you curious into uh, you know your present moments and at the same time uh, your future goals that you're looking to uh, do and become into the future? Well, the the search for meaning and the realization of the truth of human nature what what is what what is this this so-called nature that we have so very i would say very philosophical issues like uh, free will uh versus determinism uh the the arising of consciousness mm -hmm. or the manifestation of consciousness and there are some very profound ontological and epistemological presuppositions that structure our worldview certainly my worldview that i am I'm beginning to to revisit and it's um uh, it's it's very exciting and it's frightening uh, because the meaningful revolution but uh, a very metaphysical level so that's what keeps me really excited and then how whatever i'm uh, i'm whatever realizations I gain in that field, I'm able to translate and bring with me back like in a hero's journey to the business world and help the people I help um, be more, more mindful, more conscious, more purposeful, and more inspiring. Yes. 
Yeah, I'm right there with you. I mean, there's just the idea of um, the evolution of consciousness. We are all waking up um, to the thing underneath the thing and how we can um, take that wisdom and that insight, share it with those we've been entrusted. Um, I'm definitely going to model a lot of my future uh, on how you've done this uh, in the beautiful way that it, it truly has um, impacted the world. Before we go, how can we follow you and your work? The book came out on May 1st. Where's the best place you would direct us to go get a copy? Well, the, the, I don't know. The easiest way is to uh, you know, find it in Amazon and uh, they, they ship it, deliver, or it's uh, electronically there. Also, if, if people would like to know more about my work before they, they buy or they spend any money or effort, they can go to um, LinkedIn and just do a search for me, Fred Kaufman, K-O-F-M-A-N. Or there's a, a, a microsite that we created at LinkedIn that's called conscious.linkedin.com. And there are, there are about 100 uh, three to five minute videos with little capsules about the material for and the meaning of revolution. Uh, that's really the leadership development course that we use at LinkedIn, and in a in a genuine act of just great uh, generosity, I'd say Jeff Weiner, the CEO, and the people of LinkedIn uh, agreed to put this up um, in a in an open open site. So there's there's no charge. It's just available for anybody to do the program as they wish. So those are the the three things I would recommend. Beautiful. And again, that's conscious.linkedin.com. Is that right? Correct. Beautiful. Well, Fred, um, super grateful for your time and energy today. Uh, I know that our listeners, um, uh, I believe that uh, their capacities were grown today, uh, and I hope that their minds and hearts were also grown to take this beautiful information uh, to those that they've been entrusted, and little by little, you're helping us all move forward, wake up, and uh, do something good, true, and beautiful with our lives. I'd love to have you on again sometime. Can we make that happen? Absolutely. It, it was a pleasure, and uh, I'm uh, I'm honored, and I've to suffer to bring the, the good, the true, and the beautiful to the world. Beautiful, beautiful. Hey, before you go, don't forget to hit subscribe right there on your phone. That's probably where you're listening. Uh, And if you enjoyed this, would you mind leaving us a review? One of the things that we're wanting to do is get this information out to as many people as we can. And we are finding that uh, when people leave good, true, and beautiful reviews, uh, that helps us get this information out more and more to people all across the world. I do not take it lightly uh, that you invite me to ride shotgun with you in your car. Uh, You allow these conversations to be a part of your jogs. You allow these conversations to be a part of the communities and families and businesses that you've been entrusted. Uh, I do not take that lightly at all, and I am thrilled uh, that you have joined us here at this table, at this conversation. There's always a seat left. There's always room for more, uh, and we are just so grateful for you guys joining us here at Good, True, and Beautiful. And as you approach this week, may you pause by the orchid. Listen to the bluebirds sing and be love.